0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of the To The Point Podcast. Everybody's doing well. Um, This is actually my third podcast of the day. Uh, I did one this morning uh, talking about the NFL. Then I did one uh, later on the day, did one with Casey Ward, a frequent guest here on the show, where we broke down the – we did an NHL playoff preview, previewed all of round one. That'll be dropping tomorrow, so uh, be ready for that. It'll uh, be about 9 a.m. tomorrow. You'll see that on your timeline. And I'm recording this one today. And just talking about some big stories in the world of sports. We got the NBA finishing up. We got the NFL with the schedule release. We got the Byron Nelson tournament in golf this weekend. Um, and we also have some news in the NHL you know outside of the playoffs where we got Jack Eichel fighting. We got David Quinn getting fired in New York. Um, so, a number of things to talk about today. And uh, just I was a little MIA this week. So, I thought I'd record a bunch of content today because, as you guys know, I got a lot to say about a lot of things. So, Get that all out of the way. And, you know, the NFL, they are better than anybody at marketing. And it's not even close. We're not talking about games. There's not a preseason NFL game till mid August. We are mid May. Yet a schedule release gets more buzz than any game in the NBA, NHL, or you name a sport. Wednesday night was the schedule release for the NFL season. Now, we know these games before they happen. We just don't know when they're going to happen. When a team finishes a season, depending on your record, you get decided who you're going to play in the other conferences, who you're going to stack up against if you're NFC, who, what AFC opponents, what division are you going to play? So we knew the, the Bucs' schedule beforehand. We just didn't know who they're going to play. And it's crazy. We know the games, but yet we're still loving it. Maybe not. maybe not everybody in Canada. Maybe listening, you're like, who gives a crap about the NFL schedule? I got more important things to think about. I do. I was enthralled. To talk NFL any time of the year to me is good. It's wholesome. It's fun. And again, the schedule release on ESPN is a bigger deal than any NBA item you could name. NFL Network, Fox Sports 1, ESPN. Wednesday night, that was the feature show. The NFL schedule release. Screw Wizard Hawks. Screw Leaf Senators. You know, who gives a crap about that game? It doesn't matter. It's the NFL. And looking at Week One, I think the NFL made a smart and stupid decision all at the same time, which is, of course, makes a lot of sense to me because I'm a double negative person. I'm not negative. Just I like double negatives. That's what I'm getting at here. First game of the season, Thursday night. It always features the defending Super Bowl champion. Bucks and Chiefs are not meeting on their schedules this year, so you can't put the rematch night one. They like to do that. Um, so, what are they going to do? Bucks against who? Who, who's, who are they going to stack up against? Who do they put? Bucks Cowboys. So Tom Brady playing America's team, you know, quote unquote. And of course, this is the most sellable game all year. And the reason I question putting it on week one is because this game would do crazy ratings in mid mid November. There's normally not a fatigue to the NFL season, but if there is, why not keep this game for later? Get Bucks Falcons. I know that might not sound that sexy, but you get Kyle Pitts, you get his first game. Bucks Giants, Bucks Rams. I think would have been a great uh, option. Uh, you could you got. There's a number of games that would have been Bucks-Bears. Maybe Justin Fields makes his debut against Tom Brady. Um, but I understand it. You have Dallas, who the last, last three years, here's a stat for you. Last three years, Dallas has had the most views of their games of any other team, and it's not even close. by millions. So Dallas brings box office. But NFL opening night, people are watching that game regardless because they haven't had football since early February. Now I get it. You want to start off this season, set the tenor for the season, the biggest NFL season in history, not necessarily because of the competition, but because it's 17 games. It's an 18-week schedule. The Super Bowl is ending the day before Valentine's Day, February 13th. Normally, it's getting done the first weekend in February. It's different this year. Because the extra week, there's no, there's every team's playing 17 games. You can't. The Dallas Cowboys can't finish eight and eight anymore. That was what they're known for forever. And there's a number, you know, the Bucs Cowboys week one. The other other game that's really really intriguing to me, Browns Chiefs. Obviously, it's a rematch of the AFC divisional game. Patrick Mahomes went out in the game. Browns had the ball late in the uh, late in the fourth quarter. Baker Mayfield, and the Browns go four and out. Chad Henny, anything is possible. Fourth and one, throws a pass to Tyreek Hill. They ice the clock. Now, I'm going to be talking about the AFC North next week in my um, divisional update preview uh, series of podcasts that I did my first one this morning about the AFC South. Now, the Browns are a legitimate threat to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. The Browns used to be a doormat, used to be a joke. They are no longer a joke. The Buffalo Bills used to be a doormat, used to be a joke. They are no longer a joke. These teams that are in the basement finally have stability. You have Brian Dayball as your offensive coordinator in Buffalo. You also have Sean McDermott as head coach. You have Brandon Bean as GM. You have stability with terrible ownership with the Pagulas, but at least you have stability there. Then in Cleveland, you hire Kevin Stefanski, the first coach that has had any success in forever in the dog pound who doesn't want to see Cleveland do well. Even if you hate Cleveland, if you hate the AFC North, you hate Pittsburgh. It's hard to hate Cleveland. They're a likable team. the Their fans show up in the cold every week, and they they're just blue collar good people. And you got Browns Chiefs. Again, Baker Mayfield looking to improve upon last season, where in his final nine games he had twenty touchdowns, three interceptions, the best margin in the NFL. And they should. I'm sure the Browns are still sitting there today saying we should have beaten Kansas City. Mahomes was done. We should have won that game, which is a fair sentiment. And we go play the Bills. Why couldn't we beat the Bills? It would be Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen as quarterbacks, first career championship game. So they're both green in that scenario. Why couldn't we beat the Bills? They're banged up. We learned after the game, Cole Beasley was playing on a broken leg. Stefan Diggs had a torn oblique. Bills have no run game. They're, They're decimated. Why couldn't the Browns get through that? What do they do? They have a great draft. They get Greg Newsom the third from sorry, Greg Newsom Jr. the third, as Dan Patrick would say, from Northwestern. Really good corner. Greedy Williams is coming back after an injury. Grant Delpit, the safety out of LSU towards ACL week one, he's gonna return. They also get uh, Asuwa Karamoa from Notre Dame, the linebacker at 52nd overall. This guy had a heart issue. This kid can freaking ball and he will tear it up. They still have arguably the one of the best pass rushers in the NFL in Miles Garrett, and they had Jadeveon Clowney to put upon the other side. Their defense is just flat out loaded. Then you look at on offense, Baker Mayfield. Is he the most dynamic quarterback? No, but we saw when he gets weapons, when he has a st- stable team around him, he doesn't have to do everything. You don't have to force him. And their team, they got weapons galore. You have Austin Hooper, you have Jarvis Landry, you have Rashard Higgins. Odell Beckham Jr., as of right now, is still on the roster. He's due to come back. You've got Donovan Peoples-Jones out of Michigan. You have a team. And you also have the best 1-2 running back duo in the NFL with Kareem Hunt and with Nick Chubb. So they have all the trappings of being a team that's going to threaten the Chiefs. And I like it. I think this could have been later in the season. It may have been more interesting to say, well, week one, both teams are going to be a little bit rusty but it sets a tenor again for the season. Also week one, you got Steelers-Bills. These two teams met in week 15. You got the Steelers, who are going to be intriguing this season because it's their last kick at the can. Ben Roethlisberger's coming back for one final season, arguably. I'd be surprised if he came back for more, but who knows. They load up. They bring back the receivers. They draft Najee Harris out of Alabama, the star running back. They look like they're going to be contenders. Then you get the Bills. Can they keep the momentum going? They went to an AFC Championship last game. Josh Allen was second MVP voting behind Aaron Rodgers. What happens there? Can he keep it going? Can they keep that offense? Can they get a running back and have a running game? That's their big question and build on what they did last season. You also got Matthew Stafford making his Rams debut playing the Bears. Is it Andy Dalton on Sunday Night Football? Is it... Um, is it Justin Fields playing for the bears? I like that. I think the Rams are going to be a really intriguing team to watch. The Rams have uh, Tampa Bay and Tom Brady in week three. I, that division's loaded. I mean, San Francisco, they finished last last year in the division, but they're a lot better. Jimmy Garoppolo is back healthy. They drafted uh, the kid out of North, uh, North Dakota state and Trey Lance. How, when does he play? Does he start from the beginning? They still have George Kittle. They still have Debo Samuel. They still have Brandon Ayuk. What happens there? Um, so that that's super intriguing. Uh, and then Monday Night Football week one, I wasn't super intrigued about the game. Then I heard Louis Riddick talk about it. He obviously does Monday Night Football. So he has to sell it, but I think he did a good job. It's Ravens Raiders from Vegas. We saw how beautiful Allegiant Stadium was last year. In Las Vegas, but there's no fans. And again, I don't care about fans. I really don't. I listen to the game with no sound, but it's about bringing the NFL back. And why not do that Monday Night Football pack the bastard with fans? And you have that beautiful stadium. Sunday night, you get the beautiful stadium in LA where the Super Bowl is going to be held this year. It's just a perfect ending. It's, I mean, it's a perfect start to a season where. You get fans in Vegas, you get uh, Mark Davis there waving the flag, you get John Gruden chucking the doll there, and you get Lamar Jackson on Monday Night Football. So the more I think about it, it makes a ton of sense. So week one, great, great stuff. And there's more storylines. I think you look at the NFC East, worst division in football. Where does that go? Is Ryan Fitzpatrick good enough to get Washington to win the division? How's Dak Prescott going to look coming back from a career-threatening injury? The Giants go out, add Kenny Galladay, add Kadarius Toney, add uh, Darius Jackson on defense, bring back Leonard Williams, get some receivers for Daniel Jones. Can he win that division? Can he prove that he's a starting quarterback? Or did they need to look elsewhere? So there's, there's options there. How does Devontae Smith and Jalen Hurts' connection work after their time in Alabama? Tons to chew on. Also in week one, you got... Sam Darnold, the former former Jets quarterback, now Carolina Panther, playing the Jets in Carolina. Zach Wilson's debut will be against the former Jets quarterback. How about that? Love it. Normally that game would have no juice. It's a great storyline. It's a great game. You also got Saints Packers. Jameis Winston's the heir of New Orleans without Drew Brees. Is Aaron Rodgers going to be the quarterback for Green Bay? Pretty good stuff. Now, as you sift through the schedule, there's a game on week four on Sunday Night Football that will be one of the biggest games in the last decade. And what's this game? Sunday Night Football, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are heading to Foxborough to play the New England Patriots. Tom Brady will make his return to Boston to play his former coach, his former team, on the bright lights of Sunday Night Football. They didn't meet last year. Brady leaves New England. In his first season, he wins the Super Bowl and Super Bowl MVP. Sticking it to Bill Belichick saying, I never needed you. You were just there. My first season without you, I win my way. I bring in the players I want. I finally get a say in what we do around here. It's not some military dictatorship where we all have to listen to you and be drones. We can have fun and win football games. You have New England, who went 7-9, and missed the playoffs. And looking back, before Belichick got Tom Brady, he won two Super Bowls, yeah, in New York as a defensive coordinator. So it's impressive, but you're not the head coach. As a head coach in Cleveland, he made the playoffs twice and won one playoff game in five seasons. So he doesn't have a great resume. This game, neither of them will say it's a big game. But of course it is. Bill Belichick wants to win this game more than any game he's ever coached. I guarantee you because he wants to beat Tom Brady. Right now, Tom Brady's one up. Tom Brady's going to stay up even if he loses the game, because guess what? He won a Super Bowl without Bill. Bill can't say that. But if you beat him, you rough him up a little bit, you go with the win. At least you got a little bit of your pride back. But this is a huge game. I love it. And we know when it's happening. And I'm telling you, I don't know when in Canada, we can go to these, leave this country without having to fucking quarantine. But next season, there's some games I would love to go to. And that's one of them. Any NFL game next year, any, anybody wants to go, give me a ring because I'm in. I don't care where that where it is. I don't care what the weather is. We'll bundle up. We'll go watch a game. Because I've never been to one. And how about the juice in this one? It's, it's personal for both these guys. Brady, Brady got kicked out of New England. Let's just be honest. He tried to get kicked out. Tried, Bill tried to kick him out in 2017. He had Jimmy Garoppolo. And Bill wanted to move on from Tom Brady. Then Tom Brady had to go up to Robert Kraft and basically say, help me help me bill and bill calls tom brady tommy he said he's like a son to him he's vetoed bill and said no we're keeping tom brady worked out they won two super bowls but bill wanted to move on with garoppolo and that always hurt his pride so he traded garoppolo to san francisco we see what happened with that they made it to a super bowl they ultimately lost to kansas city but brady's always been treated just like every other player we all know in sports when you're an elite athlete, you get a break. When you're you get t- different treatment. Yeah, you're supposed to all be treated equally. It doesn't work like that. I'm not saying the other guys are treated like shit, but you you get a little bit more respect. You get a little bit more say in the uh, in the process. Tom never got that in New England because he was torched. He was treated like one of 53. And for better or worse, it worked. They won six Super Bowls together. But Tom went to Tampa where he wasn't treated like one of 53. He was given more of a say. He got to bring in Antonio Brown. He signed Gronk. He brought, he recruited Leonard Fournette. And what happened? They won a Super Bowl and they had fun. They weren't drones. Like I mentioned, it's just a different atmosphere. And I really don't think either guy particularly likes the other. So you want to beat your enemy. And for Brady going back to Foxborough, who knows? This could be your last trip there. He said he wants to play as long as he can, but you're 44. Eventually the wheels will fall off. I've never seen longevity like Brady, but you're playing a physical sport and yeah, you can't hit the quarterback anymore, but it's going to happen eventually. And maybe this is one last hurrah. He I think he's a favorite to get back to the Super Bowl, of course, looking at their roster, but again, it's an opportunity for both men to get a little bit of revenge on the other. There's also some big games. You got Kansas City-Buffalo in week five. That's a, a game that has a lot of juice. You also get Kansas City-Cleveland uh, and Baltimore, of course. That rivalry in the AFC North will be interesting to watch. With uh, The Browns are really good. I think the Ravens got a lot better. Steelers, I mentioned, are still fighting. You got Joe Burrow coming back for the Bengals. How does he stack up? So the NFL season is going to be a lot of fun. And we're only in May. And I'm already jacked for it. And you don't get that excited like you do the other sports. And I just think the other, the other sports have to look at this and say, we got to do a better job of promoting our product because the NFL does it better than any other That's just some of the schedule release here. Obviously it goes deeper than that. There's two Christmas day games because Christmas falls on a Saturday this year. So the NFL keeps, uh, moving into the NBA territory where they're taking up uh, airtime, which I'm sure the NBA is not thrilled about, but um, schedule release. And I almost talked 20 minutes about the schedule release. (laughs) That's, that tells you everything you need to know about uh, this season. Pivoting to golf next week. We will see the PGA championship live from Keough Island in South Carolina. Um, a great course on the on the water. Um, last played in twenty. Last played there the PGA in twenty twelve. Rory McIlroy decimated the field, winning by eight strokes. And last week, heading into you know Kiowon, uh, next week starting Thursday, of course he wins. He wins the uh, the tournament last week, gets some momentum. He's taking this week off, but we do have a tournament this weekend, the Byron Nelson, and uh, some big names are in the field trying to get ready for this tournament and. You're know, midway through Friday so most uh, some guys are through two rounds and we're seeing some good play from Jordan Spieth. Thursday he shoots 9 under. And first of all it's impressive to shoot a 63 anytime but he had not played since the Masters. That was the second week in April. So he's off a month. His first round he shoots a 63. Today was not quite as sharp. He likes to play in the afternoon better than in the early mornings throughout his career. And today he shoots two under, but he's 11 under par, three strokes off the lead. He's in good shape going into the weekend. You know, looking looking at the leaderboard, I'm just going to pull it up here on my phone. Uh, you got leading the tournament, Ki-Hung Lee, good player, but not exactly a juggernaut. He's at 14 under, shoots seven under for the day, really impressive stuff. Then you got and Kazir. He's another guy who's not a big name in the game of golf. He's 11 under, eight under for the day. Matt Kuchar, the veteran, this is kind of like Phil last week where he shoots six under today. He's 11 under for the tournament. Kuchar is normally a guy who is right around the cut line, misses the cut or makes it. So we'll see how he does this week. I'm glad that he's up there though, because I like to see the vet. And you got Spieth, you got Wynnum Clark, Ted Potter Jr., Vincent Whaley, Seamus Power, all at 10 under. There's no big name at the top of the leaderboard. And we're still, yesterday's leader was JJ Spawn and Speeth. Spawn is yet to tee off. He's, he's at nine under to start the day, but you got Lee Westwood who's at nine under, he shoots eight under for the day. So we're seeing some really, really low rounds, but for Spieth, the big thing for him is just his turnaround, how he went from a guy that is basically Ricky Fowler right now, or Ricky Fowler is still a big name. Cause he's in a lot of ads, but he, his play is terrible. Jordan Spieth is missing cuts. He had no, um, He had no confidence in his driver. His putting game was a mess. But we see that he's rising. He's eighth in the FedEx Cup rankings. He's a player that hasn't played in a month yet. He shoots 63 in his first round. And I I don't think he needs to win this weekend. He won the weekend before the Masters, and he did finish T5 in the Masters. So another really good showing. But he's playing consistently. He's had five top five finishes already this, this season, and we're only in May. And he's... He's confident, you can tell. He made a, a long birdie putt to end his round yesterday on 18. And he's just got that swagger of him. He's got some confidence that he's not the Jordan Spieth that was timid, that was afraid to go to Augusta National. He's back to being the guy. And going into this tournament at the PGA, I think Rory McIlroy is clearly a favorite. Again, he's won this at this tournament before. He won at the Byron Nelson. Uh, because uh, you look at that tournament, he won it three times before. Um, and you got a lot of confidence that you can win that one. Speeth, he's never won at this tournament, but he's playing so consistently. You know, I have less, I have way more faith in Speeth coming in than Dustin Johnson, where last summer I would say, well, Dustin Johnson's clearly a favorite to win. Dustin Johnson hasn't been playing a lot of golf. He's got a knee injury and he's missed some cuts and he's been inconsistent with his driver. So I don't see him as a legitimate threat. Again, Brooks Kepka. He's been injured the past two seasons. We haven't seen the best of Brooks, so he's a guy. I look on the outside looking in. Morikawa has not played a lot of golf lately. He won the PGA Championship last year, so we looking to defend the crown. But if I didn't put a top three, I still would put Justin Thomas in my top three for favorites to win because he's just a really consistent golfer and he seems to rise to the occasion. So he would be there. I would then put Rory McIlroy, who, you know, three months ago, I uh, sorry, uh, two months ago couldn't make a cut. It seemed like, but he wins a tournament. When you get a guy of his caliber, you win a tournament, you're automatically back into the swing of things. Then I would go with speed because speed is just a consistent player. He puts, keeps the ball on the green. If he can stay out of the fescue, he's got a really good chance at winning the tournament. And it wouldn't shock me to see a, a lower name player, make a make a move too, because again, the guys who win the majors, are normally big names, but we've seen the likes of Danny Willett. We've seen Sergio Garcia, Justin Rose. They are at the top of these leaderboards when it comes down to it. And even lately, Sam Burns has won a tournament. We've seen uh, Doc Redman win the tournament. We've seen Stuart Sink win two tournaments on tour. So it it's really anybody's game because no big-name player, I mean, Dustin Johnson, the world number one, has played fantastic. The one you could say who has is DeChambeau, he's won two tournaments this year, but how does he do at this at this course? It's again the water's a threat to him because he's the one that likes to drive the ball as far as he possibly can. So can he keep it on the green? Um, so that's that's potentially a problem. But I think it's a wide open field, and this weekend it's a course uh, at the Byron Nelson this weekend where you can really torch it. And I think it'll help a lot of guys have some confidence going into Kiowa, but. If it's not a, if it's not one of the three I mentioned, again Deshambo, you could put maybe he's sniffing around potentially win the uh, the major, but how would go with the field uh, when it comes to a player not ranked in the top ten? Could Patrick Cantley finally find form? He's a guy that's always in the FedEx Cup ranking, seems to always be in the top five, t ten when it comes to majors, but he can never close it out. He'll have one bad day, puts him out, and he'll uh, you know. Put him out of contention where he can't recover, but he's a great golfer. Can he find it? Um, still a lot to be, you know, Leo Westwood has been a, a consistent guy. Could he find it? He's an older guy, he's in his uh, mid 40s, but he's been a really consistent player this year. Two second place, two runner ups, um, didn't do great at the Masters after strong play coming in. But how does he favor at this tournament? Um, but we'll see. I just, Obviously this weekend is still a lot to be decided, but um, Jordan Spieth, Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas is where I'm sitting right now. Maybe I'll have a different opinion by Thursday when the PGA starts, but looking forward to the major and uh, it's, it's always a big event and Kiowa is a beautiful course. So looking forward to seeing that uh, next week. Um, we'll pivot to the NBA where i um, we'll have to acknowledge Russell Westbrook and He set a new record in the NBA uh, Monday night where he got his 182nd triple double. Now, if nobody knows, if you don't know what a triple double is, it's where you have at least 10 points, at least 10 rebounds, 10 assists, or you can put 10 blocks, 10 steals. It's when you have 10 of three different categories, statistical categories. He's had 182 of those in his career. Now, this season, he's been going bonkers where we've seen him have a 20 rebound game. The guy's only a six foot two guard. He's had multiple 20 assist games, and he now sur- he surpassed Oscar Robertson for the most triple doubles in the history of the NBA. Now, this is, I think it's impressive, no doubt. Russell Westbrook is a guard that will go down as likely one of the top 10 best point guards to ever play the game. Now, his coach, Scott Brooks, says he's the second best point guard ever. I do not agree with Scott Brooks. He has to say that. He's his coach. I don't blame him for saying it. But number one, obviously, you got Magic Johnson. Then I would put John Stockton. You got Isaiah Thomas. You got Steph Curry on that list. Uh, you know, Gary Payton. Uh, there's a lot of good players that I would put before Russell Westbrook. I mean, if you look at the game right now, where's Russell Westbrook? I got James Harden above Russell Westbrook for sure. I mean, James Harden all time. Will either of them ever win a chip? They played together in Oklahoma City. And that's a big thing for for Westbrook. Will he ever win a championship? And another knock against him is just, is he a selfish player? Now in the NBA, you can get a a lot of assists and you can have the ball for 20 seconds of the shot clock. You dump it off to somebody, you get the assist. Russell Westbrook has always been top five in usage every season he's been in the NBA meaning he has the ball a ton and he'll find players, but it pissed off Kevin Durant where Kevin Durant said, screw this. I'm not going to win a championship with Russell Westbrook. He left Oklahoma city, went to golden state, won two championships. Proof was in the pudding and Russell Westbrook was in Oklahoma city forever play with Chris Paul. That didn't work. Then he went and played with Paul George. That didn't work. Every player that's played with him has left. That's been a star. Now he's played this year with Washington. It looks like they're going to make the play in tournament. Him and Bradley Beal do have some chemistry there. So we'll see what happens, but I think it's a really impressive accomplishment and it needs to be celebrated. Oscar Robertson said, and I don't know if I've, there's never been an NBA player who plays harder than Russell Westbrook night in night out. This guy, you can't blame him for his lack of trying. He gives it everything he has. He will, Drive into a brick wall trying to win, but sometimes it's he does too much. He turns the ball over a ton. He's top three in the NBA in turnovers this season. He doesn't particularly shoot the ball well. He 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 just makes stupid decisions, and I wouldn't want him as my point guard. Again, I would have Steph Curry. I would have James Harden. I should have. I thought about it. I would go through point guards. Chris Paul, of course. Um, Donovan Mitchell, I would pick before Russell Westbrook. But the guy cares night in, night out. And he's, just his ability to play the game at at such a high level to, it's not easy to get rebounds. You know, they can say it's stat padding Well, whatever. Um, He's got more than anybody. It's like this year, the the argument that Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews stacked up points. Well, all these guys could have got points. You know, LeBron James could have more triple doubles, but he doesn't. Russell Westbrook has 182. He's going to continue to add more. Um, you know, he every team he's on, he's going to be the driving force. And until his body breaks down, I don't see him changing the way he plays. So will his record ever be broken? Maybe I think it's going to be tough because I don't think there's enough guys in the NBA that truly care enough to get a triple-double night in, night out. Again, he's got 182. I believe LeBron has like 87. You think, well, you think LeBron James, one of the best players in history of NBA. Michael Jordan only has a few triple doubles. So I think it's kudos to Russell Westbrook. Now this year for him and the Wizards, um, they're in the 10th seed right now. They haven't clinched a playoff spot yet. I believe they can with a win tonight. Um, they would play Indiana as of now. If they beat Indiana. They would play the loser of the 7-8 game. And if they can get into the playoffs, I believe they could be a factor. They could make trouble for a team because Bradley Beal can shoot the lights out. Again, you got Westbrook, you got Davis Bertans, who's a really gifted three-point shooter. You got Alex Len and uh, Robin Lopez in in the paint. And they don't have a stacked team, but Huchamora, they got some players that can play the game. And for Westbrook, obviously a really impressive accomplishment beating Oscar Robinson, but will he ever win a championship? That's what defines you in the NBA. And the NHL, I think it's different. You don't need to win a Stanley Cup. Joe Thornton will always be looked at as a great player. Um, Patrick Marlowe, you got that record. This Westbrook stat and Marlowe statistic playing the most games is similar to me because Westbrook will be looked at as a great player forever. Patrick Marlowe will be looked at as a warrior forever playing that many games. But did they ever win? No. Both have been to a finals. Westbrook has been went to a finals and played the Miami Heat in 2012, lost in five games. Play with James Harden, play with play with Kevin Durant, couldn't get over couldn't get the win. But we'll see. It would be fun if Brooklyn could somehow sneak into that one seed. If the uh, Wizards could get the eight spot and play Brooklyn in the first round, where you had Harden and Durant, who used to play with Westbrook, they meet in the first round. I think that'd be spicy. That'd be good for the NBA it could be better than Brooklyn, Charlotte. Uh, I don't, that's not much meat on the bone there. Um, Brooklyn against the Celtics. There's some intrigue, uh, but I still think uh, Brooklyn gets by them rather easily. Uh, and so just thinking of, of intrigue, obviously out in the West, as of right now, it is Lakers in the seventh spot and, uh, the Golden State Warriors in the eighth spot, but there's still a lot to be decided this weekend. There's three three days left in the NBA season. It's over on Sunday. If the Portland Trailblazers beat the, I believe they play Utah. Yeah, they play Utah, uh, Utah. If they beat Utah on Sunday, they will be the sixth seed. They will avoid the playing tournament. The Lakers have two games this weekend. They play Indiana tomorrow afternoon. Then they play Saturday night against the Pelicans. If they win both games and Portland loses, they are the sixth seed. Now, if Portland wins, it doesn't matter. The Lakers will be the seventh seed. They'll have to play in the playing game and they'll, they'll play Golden State or Memphis. Golden State and Memphis play tomorrow. The winner of that game will be the eight seed, the loser, ninth. Ninth will play 10th. That will be Memphis or Golden State playing the Spurs, the winner playing the, the loser of Golden State and the Lakers. I know it's a little confusing, but that's just how it shakes out. And the winner of seven, eight game gets the seven seed. Then the winner of eight versus nine or 10 will get the eight seed and then the playoffs start. And the Lakers obviously are the intrigue. LeBron James has played two games in the last 27 and in limited minutes and they lost both of them. But this week they caught fire. They beat the Phoenix Suns. They beat the Houston Rockets by two Wednesday night, and LeBron hasn't played yet. Now it's reported he's going to play this weekend. I doubt he plays both games on a back-to-back after playing very limited minutes after his sprained ankle. But if him and Anthony Davis can come back healthy, then they're obviously the, the front runner to make it to the NBA finals. They would play the Phoenix Suns, the two seed, and be a favorite as a seven seed. I mean, that's unheard of, but that's just how it, how it would work. You got Utah and Phoenix at, top, at the top of this, of the Western Conference where neither of them have particular playoff success. success. Especially the Suns, they are really playoff virgins other than Chris Paul because you have Devin Booker who's never been there. You have DeAndre Ayton who's never been there. Uh, You got uh, Cameron Johnson who's never been to the playoffs. So their nucleus of star players have never been to the playoffs. That means something in the NBA. LeBron has played more playoff games than anybody. Uh, Anthony Davis won a championship last year. Uh, Andre Drummond's played in the playoffs. So they got players that have done it and even if they were to play golden state against steph that would be way better for phoenix but steph curry's playing a ton of playoff games he's a three-time champion that's a tough matchup so whoever whoever gets that seven spot that's a tough matchup for phoenix you don't want that even for utah as the number one seed say um say the lakers get the seven spot then it's Golden State versus Memphis. You'd rather have Memphis, in my opinion, even though Golden State's under man, because Steph Curry, you never know. He could win a series by himself with Draymond chipping in here and there. He could make it interesting. So that's really how it, how it shakes out. But I mentioned earlier in the week that it could be more, it could be wide open, but I'm, I'm starting to think, well, it's not going to be. LeBron's coming back. He's going to be healthy. Anthony Davis is going to be healthy. Dennis Schroeder is going to come off the COVID list for the Lakers. Then in the East, you got Brooklyn. James Harden played the other night, had a double-double and 11 assists in his first game back, and he looks unbelievable. You got Kevin Durant, who I think is the best player in the NBA. Kyrie Irving likely to be healthy. If Brooklyn is whole, if they have all three of their stars playing, I don't see who beats them for the championship. They're a little undermanned when it comes to the inside, when it comes to the paint, but their ability to shoot to make threes is really unquestioned. If I had to pick, if I had to pick a third team that I think could make some noise, I would go with the Miami Heat. And the Miami Heat made it to the finals last year. They were a surprise team, a fifth seed. They're going to be the fi- they're the fifth seed as of right now. They're battling with the Atlanta Hawks coming into the weekend, where they could potentially get to fourth. Atlanta's looking to clinch the fourth seed. You got uh, Atlanta, Miami, and the Knicks all separated by one game. So for the fourth, fifth, and sixth seeds, but um, Miami's got that playoff experience. They got a leader in Jimmy Butler who knows how to play in crunch time. They got the experience from last season. They, they got Eric Spolcher, who's got two championships to his to his resume. So They got the, the team to do it. In Atlanta, this is going to be a, a new experience for them. Trey Young's never been in the playoffs. John Collins has never been in the playoffs. Uh, Bogdanovich, Clint Capella's been there for Houston, but they're kind of like Phoenix. They need to get there, learn how to Learn how it goes. Then you got the Knicks. The Knicks have been in the playoffs since 2013. They're likely, as of right now, they play Milwaukee. Um, they, they're a great story. Julius Randle has been a really impressive player this season, but the Knicks, they're likely to bow out um, in the playoffs where Tom Thibodeau may be the coach of the year, but the Knicks still have to learn. And you go below, I mentioned the teams below that. So I think the Heat. I like them better than the Sixers just because I think the Heat have more game breakers. We've seen the Sixers in the playoffs and Simmons. They come up small. Jimmy Butler rises to the occasion. Tyler Hero off the bench rose to the occasion last year as a 20 year old rookie, averaging almost 20 off the bench. Duncan Robinson has turned into one of the best three point shooters in the NBA. Bam on a Bayou stud. So the Miami Heat, I think would challenge Brooklyn the most and, and, cause them the most problems. That could be a second round matchup. So Brooklyn gets by them. You get a third round where you're pretty comfortable in the West. I would say the Clippers Denver made it to the conference final last year, but they're without Jamal Murray. They're going to miss him down the stretch. Jokic likely the MVP um, has some good players. He's got Michael Porter jr. They acquired Aaron Gordon, but to not have a ball handler that you really trust down the stretch that hurts your team and Jamal Murray will be missed. So I look at the Clippers who have been eerily quiet all year. They still have Kawhi Leonard. They got Paul George. They acquired Rajon Rondo at the trade deadline, who was with the Lakers last year, who they traded Sweet Lou Williams for. They got Serge Ibaka. They got players that are just Pat Beverly, who, who likes to piss people off. I think the two LA teams could potentially meet in the conference final where um, you're both playing at Staples Obviously the Clippers got a lot to prove for Steve Ballmer and, and uh, Tyron Liu and you get the Lakers who are looking to go back to back. So that would be my presumed final four because if the teams are back healthy, I don't, again, Portland still is a good team. They played, they've won uh, nine out of the last 10, but they're just missing something with the Lakers at full strength with Brooklyn at full strength. These two teams should meet in the finals. Now, is that guaranteed? No. I think the Clippers could cause problems. Again, I think the heat could be a factor in the East, but I'm starting to pivot my thinking into saying, well, these two teams are the presumptive favorites they'll meet in the finals because health is going to be good for them. But we've seen people injured all year and that could continue in the playoffs. LeBron could injure his ankle again, he's done, and then the Lakers are done. You're not going to the finals with just Anthony Davis and Kuzma and whoever. You're not beating the Clippers in that series. So we'll have to wait and see, but it, there's a lot of interest here when it comes to, when it comes to the NBA. You got the last weekend of the season. Uh, you got, you know, I, I like seeing teams that, you know, I thought Atlanta would make the playoffs for the year. I didn't think they'd be the four seed, but, you know, I picked, I projected them to be the eighth seed in the East to get to fourth. Incredible. The Knicks making the playoffs. Didn't see that coming. Uh, so still some intrigue as we head into the last three days of the uh, NBA season and a lot to be decided, but the play in tournament starts Tuesday. The NBA playoffs start a week from tomorrow. So uh, that's going to get going well. The NHL playoffs going, in the PGA championship next weekend. So obviously that's, yeah, that's fantastic. The NHL, obviously, like I said, this morning, did a podcast previewing the NHL playoffs. We still have some lease Winnipeg meaningless regular season game tonight, um, which uh, who can't wait to watch that we got Vancouver and Edmonton over the weekend, Vancouver, Calgary. So still some of these regular season games that need to be finished due to COVID. But this week um, we saw some firings and I think we'll see some more. Uh, there's, we saw David Quinn get fired in New York. Uh, Jeff Blaschel may still be on his way out in Detroit where he's coached for six seasons, but does Stevie Y want to go in a different direction, even with the team in a rebuild? Um we saw John Tortorella. We saw Rick Tocchet get uh, removed. And if teams struggle in the playoffs, is there still moves to be made? There's a lot of good head coaches on the market. We got Bruce Boudreaux and you got uh, Mike Babcock and Gerard Gallant. And you know, I mentioned Tortorella. Um, so where does that go? Now, Buffalo is in is likely going to be searching for a new head coach. They had interim coach Don Granato coach the remainder of the season. They were a more credible team. But with Kevin Adams... Uh, and likely going to be fired off Kruger. I don't think Donnie Granato will be the head coach come next season. They want the fresh voice moving in the, in the future. Now, Buffalo, they got a few problems. Obviously, Jack Eichel's at the top of it, but I'll start with the, the other names first. Rasmus Ristelainen is a defenseman for Buffalo. He's played there for eight seasons. The longest tenured Buffalo Sabre. And he got asked, you know, do you want to come back? And he said, I would come back, but I would prefer to be traded. I don't want to have to deal with another rebuild. I don't want to do it. If there's going to be another rebuild, get me the hell out of here. So basically, we know the Sabres are rebuilding again. So he basically said, get me the hell out of here. Then Sam Reinhart, who's drafted a throw overall, a really good player, got asked about his t- the time in Buffalo and where he stands. And he said, yeah, I really don't have any interest in the rebuild. I want to be able to compete for something. So Sam Reinhart basically said, get me the hell out of here. So two of your most important players, leaders on your team, one out well then here's your captain that would be jack eichel and what did we hear this week jack eichel was uh, talking to the press to end his season and he said yeah you know i went to the doctor they said they wanted to do um treatment on me to my neck injury they just wanted to do some treatment rehab and i'd be able to play he wanted a second opinion no problem he went to a doctor who said we want you to get surgery on your neck and the sabers say well our doctors don't think you need surgery you can rehab it come back and be the same player jack eichel didn't obviously wants to get surgery he's a bit pissed off that the sabers leaked that um he can just get rehab and come back and play so it kind of makes him look bad and he came out and basically told reporters yeah you know we'll see what happens next year wherever i'm playing basically saying I want to be playing not in Buffalo. And I think it's bad. I don't know who leaked that, you know, I assume Buffalo leaked that uh, he, they can, he can play without having surgery because it makes Jack Eichel look bad. I don't, Jack Eichel would not be leaking that story, but it's interesting nonetheless. Um, Looking at this scenario, Jack Eichel wants to get surgery. I get that. It's his body. Now, under the collective bargaining agreement, he cannot have surgery on his own volition. The team needs to agree to it. They haven't. So it's kind of a holding pattern. Now, Buffalo is in a a state of despair. Taylor Hall has rejuvenated himself in Boston. He talked about how just it was a black hole in Buffalo this season. And that's been their mantra for for a decade. They haven't made the playoffs in 10 years. They're not going to make the playoffs next year. Their best players won out. And it's going to be hard to get free agents to go to Buffalo because they're going to be terrible. And it's just a bad state. Now hiring the right coach is pivotal, but one thing I think they need to just look in the mirror and say is Jack Eichel is a fantastic player prior to this season, his points, his goals had gone up every season since he came in the league. I think he's a really good player. I don't think he's a stud, but I think he's a really good player. And I think they have to look in the mirror and say, we're not gonna, he's not coming back here. Now he's under contract for a number more years at $10 million a year, a big cap hit. But the most important thing for Kevin Adams right now is to trade Jack Eichel and try to get something of value back. Now it gets tricky because if you trade Jack Eichel and he get say you trade him in July and he gets traded to the Rangers. And you get, you're not going to get equal value for a number of reasons. Number one, you trade him in July. Jack Eichel gets traded to the Rangers. He's going to want to have surgery. So next surgery, you're not coming back in a week. He likely won't play till November, December. So the team you're trading for, you're going to miss half the season without Jack Eichel. Presume your new number one center is out of the lineup for half the season. That's no go. That's no go. So that means the return that the Sabres are getting is going to be minimal. So... Maybe you swallow your pride on this one and let him have surgery now because your return is that much sooner. If he has the surgery next week, well, he might be back by the time just past the start of the season. That's better than December. And if you trade him by the draft, which is in July, you're likely to get a better haul because you can at least say, hey, we know our timeline. He had surgery. He's rehabbing. The doctors can say he'll be back by blank date you trade him in July at the draft he's only back December you're not getting equal value back you're likely not getting equal value back I and mean, you're trading Jack Eichel there's rarely a time where you trade the best player in the deal and you're getting and you're getting back better value now maybe they will at the time Ryan Johansson was the better player than Seth Jones now it's turned out that Seth Jones is a stud Ryan Johansson is a bust one of the worst trades in the history of the uh, national predators organization, but what Jack, he's not coming back and you can't have this dark cloud over the organization the whole year. He, all he has to do next season, say they don't, he has to go past the physical. He's guaranteed his money. He's sitting there stewing over it and it's just negative. Buffalo is a negative organization right now. Kevin Adams needs to realize we cannot have this hang over us forever and we need to get rid of this stain as soon as possible. And if you're, if you decide his organization, yeah, it's untenable. He's not coming back. He hates us. Then maybe you let him have surgery. You go against your doctor's orders so that you can get your trade. You can get a haul back because if he's, if he's at full strength, he had a terrible season this year, but everybody did on Buffalo. Maybe the team trading for him will give you a number one prospect center. And give you a first-round pick plus whatever the hell else you want. I assume it's going to be a, a roster player. I think if Buffalo, if they're going to trade to the Rangers, just just for instance, maybe you trade Eichel to the Rangers in return. You get Mika Zibanejad, who's a number one, number two center. So you get a center back in return, and then potentially you get Kako in the deal. And then maybe you can get something else too. Um, the Rangers obviously will not get want to give away too many roster players, but you're getting you're getting Jack Eichel. So you're gonna to have to move salary in the deal anyway. You're taking $10 million in a flat cap. So money in is gonna to have to come out, money is gonna have to come out too. So that's another another thing they have to deal with. Now with Reinhardt and Rristalinen, maybe it's easier to smooth this over, but the way they sounded in their exit interviews, it doesn't sound like it's very good situation. Ristolainen's been rumored to be traded for three years now, so maybe that's finally done. Reinhardt, who's not talked about often, but he's a really important player on the Sabres and brings it night in, night out. I mean, your best players want out. That just tells you everything you need to know about this organization. This isn't Kevin Adams' fault. He was left with this. But the Begulas and past uh, brass have just left this team deserted of talent. And they got some good, yeah, they have Victor Olivson, who I think can be a good player. They got Dylan Cousins, the the, uh, captain of Team Canada at the World Juniors. So you have some things to be happy about. But it's going to be another rebuild in Buffalo where they've been rebuilding for years, yet they never had any success. We've seen Edmonton get to the playoffs. We've seen Toronto at least get to the playoffs, where Buffalo never got back after rebuild and rebuild. You know, Columbus has made the playoffs multiple years in Buffalo's tenure. New Jersey. Um, So does LA want Jack Eichel? Does Quentin Byfield come back in the deal? That's potential. But if it's me, Jack Eichel, you you trade him, you move on, and you maybe you let him have surgery so you can facilitate a deal where you get better return for your investment. We'll wrap up today talking about David Quinn in New York. In New York in the past week has really gone through a jumble where – they fired John Davidson. They fired uh, Jeff Gordon, and that really made no sense to me because, you know, Dolan said he wanted to make the playoffs. Well, look at your division. Who are you making it over? They should have finished six, but Philly was such a tire fire. I mean, you look at Washington making the playoffs over them. No, Boston. No, Pittsburgh. No, Islanders. I did have the Islanders missing the playoffs, but to Philly. So, for the seasons, for the season, I had the rangers finishing sixth and they finished fifth so they did one better than i thought they would because philly was such a disaster with vigno and carter hart couldn't make a save so how i just don't understand how you're supposed to make the playoffs but anyway they fired john davidson they fired jeff gordon stupid to me then chris jury becomes president and gm overnight and it was reported he had a big part in hiring david quinn originally he was a college coach but I guess he's the gym. he wants his own guy and they want NHL experience behind the bench, which is always funny because teams that hire a college guy then pivot into the wily old veteran as soon as it happens. And there was a number of them available for New York. John Tortorella, they had him. He's known for his feuds with Larry Brooks. You remember Larry Brooks had his phone on. Uh, that was a good one, Brooksy. I mean, that would be great to, as, a, as a guy who covers sports and does his podcast. I get a lot of joy out of seeing Larry Brooks and John Tortorella go at it again. I don't think John Tortorella will be the higher. I know him and Glenn Saylor did not have a great relationship when they departed. Glenn Saylor's still there behind the scenes, smoking a cigar. So unlikely torts. Mike Babcock. He's one of the spots I think Babs could go because number one, he still owed two years of salary by Toronto. Dolan would pick that up. Um, He's not afraid to pay a coach from Toronto to come to come do it, come coach for him. There's other owners, other uh, teams where they would be too cheap. James Dolan's not one of them. He's given money to Larry Brown. He's given money to uh, Isaiah Thomas. He's done some bad investments when it comes to head coaching. And I'm not saying Bavs would be a, a bad hire, but he's not afraid to throw money around. That's what I'm saying. There's also Gerard Glant. They've requested uh, permission to interview him from Vegas. They've been granted that. He's heading to Latvia next week to uh, coach Team Canada at the World Hockey Championships. Now, he would be a great hire. You know, he was fired unceremoniously in Florida for no other reason than he didn't didn't take orders from Tom Rowe, who turned out to be an idiot and really ruined that franchise. Um, in Vegas, he was fired to get to a Stanley Cup Finals first year as an expansion team. They get deep again. Uh, they lose the first round to San Jose, and they say, "You know what?" At midseason. We think we can do better. Peter Devore's on the market. We're gonna move on. I can't argue with what they've done because they've had a successful tenure. Drew Glant, I still think is a head coach, is a great head coach, and he's a veteran. He knows what it takes around the league. I don't think he would be afraid of the New York media, and because New York media can pick, you know, can chew you out pretty quick. Uh, I don't think Drew Glant would be afraid of that situation. There's also Boost Boudreaux, who's one of the most winning coaches in regular season history in the NHL. He's another guy that didn't get a job this year as a head coach. I'd be surprised if he wasn't behind a bench uh, again in his career. He shouldn't have to be an assistant coach the way he's coached his teams in Minnesota, in Anaheim. He's had a great track record of of teams really liking him. In Washington, he won two President's Trophies. So he's another guy. No, I think they have a lot of options. I personally, I would go with either Boudreaux or um Gerard Gallant now I I think they Bab Babcock or I think Tortorella will coach again in the NHL and I think he should I think he gets a really bad rap for being a bad guy well look at Columbus's roster and what he did with it who did like they had nothing and he made the playoffs and he beat the mighty Toronto Maple Leafs that deserves some credit he's won a Stanley Cup he's won as many Stanley Cups as Mike Babcock as a head coach he's won he's won a Stanley Cup Gerard Gallant's never won a Stanley Cup neither does Booth Boudreau but looking around, I think those, those are the names. But does Detroit move on from Blaschel? Maybe. He's been there a long, He's been there since my Babcock left. And he walked into a bad situation because they made the playoffs 22 years in a row, and they were going to tank. So he's in the tough spot. Does Nashville move on from their coach if they lose in the first round, which they likely will? We're going to see good teams lose in the first round. Do they move on? Again, Dominic Ducharme. Is he guaranteed to come back to Montreal? I don't think so. Uh, they likely wouldn't hire any of these guys because you need to speak French. But, you know, that there's there's a p- potential landing spot. I don't think Laviolette would go in Washington. I don't think Cassidy would go in Boston. Looking around, Trotz would be safe. Mike Sullivan will be back. Um, out West, Who knows? Uh, St. Louis, if you lose in the first round, does Craig Brube come back? He won a Stanley cup, but you lose in the first round last year. If you lose in the first round again, I don't think there's a guarantee Craig Brube's back and you got a veteran team. Do you want another veteran coach behind the bench? I think St. Louis is a potential team that if they fall early in the playoffs, especially if it's a, if it's a lopsided series, maybe they move on from their current head coach and, and look elsewhere. Um, Vegas, I think they keep Peter DeBoer. Colorado, Bednar. Minnesota, Dean Evison. I think he'd stick around. John Cooper, Tampa, I think he'd be back. Um, Winnipeg with Paul Maurice. I don't know. He's been there a long time. And if they lose, it'd be a first round exit again. Disappointing season in Winnipeg. There's a potential name for you. Winnipeg Jets firing Paul Maurice. I think he's a great coach, but. You expect to win this league. You got Scheifele. You traded for Dubois. Does Chevalier say, well, what the hell? Why aren't we getting over the hump? I gave you the pieces and you couldn't deliver. Who knows? It's all a possibility. That's all I'm saying here. Um, Rob Brendamore, does he return to Carolina? Otherwise, he's a free agent on the market and somebody has to take that job in Carolina. Uh, It'll be cheap, but what happens there? So still a lot to be decided. A lot of head coaches on the market Um, Playoffs starting tomorrow, obviously exciting times uh, where we'll see Bruins capitals tomorrow night, Um, but we'll keep eyes and ears open for head coaching for, for meetings. And I'll update you guys as I know more, but um, everybody have a great weekend. Enjoy the weather. It's been fun today, three podcasts in one day. It's a new record for me, but I've had a lot to say and a lot of energy. So loving every minute of it, but Lots more content coming with the playoffs. Um, we'll be doing a lot of shows and uh, keeping you guys entertained, hopefully throughout the uh, post So happy Friday, have a great weekend, and we'll talk soon.